Amen. Father, we come as we give you our worship this morning with, with great delight that you are, our, you are our foundation. You are the solid rock that when everything else seems to be crumbling around, Lord, we can stand firm because your word is true, because you sent your son to redeem and restore, and you are with us now. Father, we bring you all the things on our minds this morning, all those thoughts rushing in and out, our hopes, our fears, our longings. And so we make our prayer, come Holy Spirit, come meet us where we are. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Christopher Wright, in his book, The Mission of God, poses a question. It's a very important question, and the question is this. How big is your gospel? How big is your gospel? He goes on to write, if our gospel is the good news about God's redemption, then the question moves on to, how big is our understanding of redemption? Mission clearly has to do with the redeeming work of God and our participation in making it known and leading people into the experience of it. The scope of our mission must reflect the scope of God's mission, which in turn will match the scale of God's redeeming work. Friends, I can't think of a time more relevant than these days in which we live where we need to be reminded just how big the gospel is. Just how big the saving, rescuing, redeeming, delivering work of God truly is among us. You know, in this time of great disorientation, disruption, high anxiety, political and economic instability ahead, what we need, I believe, more than ever is for our lives to be reoriented around this gospel. We need to be reoriented around the God who saves, the God who came to set captives free, the God who came to break the chains of the oppressor and to show us a love like we've never known before. As we know that, as we begin to see how big this gospel truly is, you and I will begin to see what our role is in a greater way this side of heaven as we get to join God in his mission, in his redeeming work to bring this truth to those around. Today, we're starting our journey in the book of Exodus. This fall, we're going to be going through the book of Exodus, and the the title or the, the theme is going to be the mission of God and the mission of God's people. The mission of God and the mission of God's people. God's mission is so great, this saving, redeeming work, that he calls us to be a part of that where we live, right where we are today. Christopher Wright went on and and noted this. He said, Exodus-shaped redemption demands Exodus-shaped mission. Exodus-shaped redemption this God that we're going to see who saved his people from slavery in Egypt demands Exodus-shaped mission. 
You know, when you read the scriptures from this point forward, you find throughout the rest of the Old Testament and on into the New Testament that people kept looking back to the story, the story of the Exodus, God delivering his people out. And when they were reminded of this story, they would respond like we did this morning as we opened up our worship with praise the Lord, with praise on our lips, because they would have known the God who redeemed their people out. I want you to hear, this is Psalm 66. It's not the one we read this morning, but it's one that recounts this mighty work of God in delivering his people and the response of the people. The psalmist begins with this, shout for joy to God all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Come and see what God has done. His, he is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land, and they passed through the river on foot. Friends, when we know not just about this deliverance, this exodus, when we encounter it, we can't help but, re- but re- respond like the psalmist did. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. And I love that the psalmist puts it this way. He says, come and see. Come and see. Come and see the mighty works of our God. How he delivers us from our bondage. But it doesn't stop there, friends. The invitation for you and me is to come and see so that we can go and tell. We're not to just store it up for ourselves, but as we come to see how big this gospel really is, that we would be people who go and tell. Because you know the reality of this. The Exodus, what we're going to be looking at in the weeks ahead, God delivering his people out of slavery, is just a taste of the ultimate Exodus. When God brought his son into this world, to redeem you and me from the slavery of our sin. That we would be a people like the psalmist who respond, shout with joy to God all the earth. That we would not only come and see, but that we would invite others to see as well. So as we look at Exodus, as we look at this ancient book in the Old Testament, I want you to see it's not going to be just a history lesson. We're not just going to be looking back in history. You know why? Because the Word of God is living and active. And because the Word of God is living and active, what we find as we go back and look at the Exodus story, we find that it becomes our story. And so what I want you to see is I want you to see yourself in this story and the work of God in your midst. So we're going to dive right in to chapter 1 this morning. And the theme that I believe shines out of chapter 1 is this. God is at work even when we don't see it. God is at work even when you and I don't see it. God is at work, listen, in your relationships. God is at work in your marriage. God is at work in your children. God is at work when you 
are doing your vocation, when you're living that out, or, or when you are in school. God is at work all the time, even when we don't see it. Now, I feel prompted to say this this morning. I mentioned that God is at work in your relationships and in your marriage. I would gather that there's some here this morning watching on live stream that your marriage is in a place that nobody sees, but it's, there's turmoil. There's all kinds of disruption because of the stress and the anxiety of our times. I want you to hear this morning that God is at work even when you don't see it. And that's what we're going to see. But to know that, I think there's two things we're gonna, we need to see through this passage. These are the two points this morning. First, we need to be reminded of God's promises, and we need to be reminded of his plan, okay? To know that God is at work, even when we don't see it, we need to be reminded of his promises and his plan. Because when we do, I believe we'll begin to see with fresh eyes, God, you really are at work. It's kind of like the cataract surgery that I had last fall, a year ago, I guess, this time. I had my right eye done at first, and, and you know, you have a patch on it for that first night, and then they said in the morning you can take the patch off, and, you know, you go to the doctor, and we see how well you can see. I couldn't wait to get up that morning. So I got up, and I walked in the bathroom, and I cooked, like, I mean, am I going to be able to see better, you know, color? All of a sudden, I peeled the patch off. I was never more excited to pick up my Crest toothpaste tube because of the blue brilliance that I saw. I'd never seen it that brilliant before and that clear. That's just a funny story of how God will open our eyes as we remember his promises, as we remember his plan, that he is at work in every moment of your life and in mine. So let's look at the first point. God is at work even when we don't see it. We need to remember his promises. Well, the book of Exodus begins like any great epic story begins. It begins in the middle of an adventure that's already underway. And it picks up where Genesis left off. And what we find is this great adventure is about God's relentless pursuit of his people, stating his love and deliverance on his people that he came to save. And so as this book opens, you heard it read a moment ago, the book, uh, the book opens with the listing of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Moses was intentional in including that in there because we need to be reminded that the Israelites were God's people. The Israelites were God's people who were set apart for a purpose to bring glory to God, and they were given a promise. I want to bring you all the way back to Genesis 12 for a moment, and then Genesis 17, where we see God taking this man, Abram, we know as Abraham, and he calls out to him, and he gives him a, num a number of promises. Listen to what we read, Ex Genesis 12, verse 2. He said to Abram, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Then jumping ahead to chapter 17, we read this. He said to Abraham, I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase in your numbers. One of the promises that we see is that the, that the Israelites would become a great nation, okay? 
Well, at the end of Genesis, God gives a vision to Jacob, one of the descendants of Abraham. And here's the vision that he gave him. This is Genesis 46, verses 3 and 4. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. The reason why I take us back to the very beginning, to this call, is because we need to remember the promise. God is always faithful to his promises. He promised to make Israel a great nation. Now, as we begin to read the first chapter of Exodus, we can look at it, and all of a sudden we wonder, how in the world can that be? How are you going to make these people into a great nation when we find suffering and oppression and deep darkness and slavery? I just want you to hear this. In the midst of suffering and all of those things I mentioned, the promises of God always come true. God is always faithful to his promises. Again, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6, we read this. Then Joseph died and all his brothers in that generation. And then verse 7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. What's so wild about the opening scene is this. There were 70 people who started off in Egypt and then this, this nation, these, these Israelites, grew and grew and grew. They became this great nation there in the midst of Egypt. And Pharaoh is going, no, I am not going to have another people, foreign people, come and be stronger than me or my people. And so what we read is this in verse 11 and 12. Therefore, Pharaoh had said, set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens and they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Wouldn't you think that when a people group is pushed down and tried to be smothered out, that they would actually eventually die out? Not the Israelites. Do you know why? Because they had the promise of God before them. That Pharaoh wanting to, to, to smash out this group by putting more and more and more oppression on them. Actually, the very opposite happened. They grew stronger and stronger and stronger. When you wonder if God is at work and whatever's going on in your life, friends, I want you to remember this morning, go back to the promises of God. That's one promise. God's word is filled limitless promises of God. So the invitation for you and me is this. When life gets turned upside down, when suffering comes, when hardships come, turn back to the promises of God. Do you see that in this passage? I want you to know that this morning. Turn back to the promises of God who is always faithful in what he says he will do. And we need to see this. As much as Pharaoh tried to kill the Israelites and, and push them out, they grew stronger and stronger and stronger. It's a picture that nothing can get in the way of God's plan. Nothing can get in the way of what God wants to do in your life and in mine. And this is where we come to see the second point here in chapter 1. 
that God is at work even when we don't see it, but God is working his plan among us. You know, to put it bluntly, Satan wants nothing more than to try to destroy us. Now, that's not new news to most of us here. You see, he doesn't want to just take us down. He wants to take us out. That's exactly what we see happening in this scene. Pharaoh, this instrument being used by Satan to take God's people out, to literally do away with them all. But you see, God had a greater plan in the midst of this. I'm going to read verses 8 and 11 and then verse 14 again, just just so that you can have the picture of what they were actually going through at this time. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Then in verse 14, Therefore they set task, taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens and made their lives bitter with hard service, treating them ruthlessly as slaves. That word afflict in Hebrew means to bring low, means to beat down. Now, let your mind go back to that scene. These people had been in this foreign land for 400 years. Who knows how long they had actually been treated as slaves and as harsh as they were here. And they were afflicted, they were brought low, they were beat down. Now, it begs the question, doesn't it? Why? Why did they have to go through that? The same question that we ask, isn't it? When hard times come knocking on our door, and as I often say, it doesn't often knock. They just bang our door in. They barge in our homes. When suffering comes our way, we often ask the question, don't we, why? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why do I have to go through this? Well, here's an answer that I think Scripture gives us. You see, we experience suffering and and hardship and injustice, and the list can go on and on, because we live in a world that's been marred by sin. We live in a world that functions the way that it's not supposed to. God didn't design it this way, but because sin entering into this world, it is broken and is marred by sin, and everything in it, all of us and the surroundings are marred by sin. Because of sin, because of sin, suffering is inevitable for you and me. You know, sometimes suffering comes to us because of our own sin. And we can name those times often, I'm sure. Sometimes suffering comes because of the sin of another person when we're sinned against. But sometimes suffering comes just because this is a broken world and things don't happen the way they were supposed to. And that's what happened to the Israelites. They didn't do anything to cause this suffering. They were in a place where this suffering took happen as a result of Pharaoh's decrees. Well, a number of years ago, there was a book that was written titled, Why Does It Have to Hurt? I love the title. Why Does It Have to Hurt? by Dan McCartney. And speaking of this Exodus event, here's what he wrote. He wrote, God saw the suffering of his people and then delivered them. But why did he allow the suffering to happen in the first place? Couldn't he have prevented it? 
And here's what his answer was. If he had done so, would the Israelites have ever desired to leave Egypt? Couldn't God have prevented it? And then he said, if he had done so, would they have ever desired to leave Egypt? Here's what we need to see in this passage here. God had a greater plan for his people, a greater plan than for his people to live in a foreign country, a greater plan than for his people to be content with what they had and then live under the oppression of another. You see, they had become attached to something that would never give them what they really wanted. They had become attached to something that kept them from becoming all that God wanted them to become. Friends, here's where we see that the Exodus story is our story. We, too, are people living in a foreign land. This world is not our home. We act like it is. We live like it is all the time. But this world is not our home. We were created for a greater home, a new heaven and a new earth. But see, we also see that it, how easy it can be for us to become content, satisfied, happy with the things that we have here. We also know what it looks like to be oppressed. Surely there are some people who literally are oppressed in this country and in this world. That's, that's true. But most of us in this room and watching online aren't oppressed in that way. We're oppressed because of the sins that, 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 we, that are so attached to us, those chains that, that hold us bound. That's the oppression that we so often find ourselves in. And here's the point we need to see. It took suffering for the Israelites to cry out for something greater than what they had. I want you to think about that for a minute. It took suffering to come that they would cry out for something greater than what they had. And I believe the same is true for you and me. You see, suffering leads us to cry out for a Savior. If any of you have ever experienced deep physical pain or an illness that was debilitating, you know what it's like to cry out to God. You know what it's like to cry out to say, God, save me. You see, suffering leads us to cry out to the God who does save. And what we see in this passage here is that God knew exactly what he was doing. It was all part of his plan to come and deliver his people. They needed to get to the point where they cried out for help, where they cried out to the God to whom he had made a covenant with, these people. You see, God was at work to prepare to save his people, to deliver them out to freedom. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Pharaoh, in trying to enslave these people, only increased their longing for what he tried to prevent. They longed for freedom. He tried to prevent it at every cost. But you see, God, working sovereignly behind the scenes, was coming to work out a deliverance and a freedom they never, ever imagined. And friends, that's exactly what God does for you and me. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of great trials, in the midst of injustice, not only is God working his plan of salvation for us, God is with us in the midst of it. 
Did you catch when I read at the end of Genesis, Genesis 46, verses uh, 3 and 4, what God said in that vision to Jacob? Let me say it again. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make of you a great nation. And then here's the key. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. God said he was going down there with them, and he was with them in the midst of it all. But he also promised to bring them back up, and that's exactly what we find in the book of Exodus that God did. You see, suffering and injustice is something that you and I will all go through this side of heaven. Every human being who's lived will go through that. But I want you to see this. God in his divine exodus, in his divine rescue plan, you know what he did? He brought his son into this broken world marred by sin. And by coming and being God and man, Jesus was not immune to the sufferings of this world. So God himself knows what suffering is like. Because Jesus submitted himself to it. The prophet Isaiah spoke of Jesus as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. In the midst of wondering, God, are you here? In the midst of whatever's going on, in the challenges and the suffering, can I tell you the answer is yes. And not only did he come among us, He knows what it's like, and he came to deliver us through, to give us a renewed hope and future. You see, not only did Jesus come to be in it with us, he came to deliver us out of it. And in his grace, just as he was with the the, the Israelites as he led them through the water, so does he lead us through to bring us a glorious salvation. That's the hope of the exodus. That's the ultimate exodus before us. And so I bring it to an end where we began with the question, how big is your gospel? How big is your grasp, is your understanding of the redeeming work of God? Friends, the invitation as we journey through this incredible book is this, come and see Come and see the God who redeems. Come and see the God who sets captives free. Come and see the God who is all-powerful and leads us in to a freedom and a new land where he alone reigns and is sovereignly in control over all things. So come and see so that we can go and tell of this glorious Redeemer. Amen? May that be so among us, and as we go out today, amen.